Welcome to the Canada's History Podcast. This is a special educator series where we speak with the finalists for the 2018 Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Teaching. Created in 1996, the award recognizes best practices in teaching Canadian history. It's an opportunity to highlight the important work that teachers and students are doing to research, interpret, and share the stories of the past. My name is Joanna Dawson, and today I'm speaking with Danae Rebsky and Justin Harrison, high school teachers at Campbell Collegiate in Regina, Saskatchewan. They have created a project called History Underground, The Road to Reconciliation, which encourages students to make connections between Canada's colonial history and the enduring legacy of this history. Students learn from a variety of Indigenous speakers and organizations, visit places of historical significance, and collaborate and volunteer with local agencies that serve the community. Thank you both for speaking with me today, and congratulations on being named finalists for this year's Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Teaching. Thank you so much. So first of all, can you each uh, introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit more about your school and the students you teach? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Danae Repke. Uh, like you had said, I'm a teacher at Campbell Collegiate. We're, so Campbell Collegiate is a high school that's located in the South End of Virginia. It's a diverse school, uh, yet we don't have a high number of Indigenous students that attend our high school. Uh, my name is Justin Harrison, also at Campbell Collegiate. So Danae and I have, have both been there for, for two years. And uh, previous to that, we had uh, both worked in community schools in the city of Regina um, for, for nearly 10 years and uh, have been used to working with um, quite a diverse group of students. Okay, great. And before we sort of get into the detail of the project and what the students did, um, and I can see this sort of coming out as you explain your um, relationship and past work experience, um, but can you sort of tell us how did this project come about and what inspired you to create it? We had met previously uh, through a variety of other training sessions and PD, treaty training, etc., and so when we arrived at Campbell, we both were a little bit lost. And we honestly, one day in the middle of the hallway, had a conversation about how do we authentically teach this content? How do we, you know, do this in a way that is real for our students and real for ourselves? And, you know, without having a large population of Indigenous students present in our own classrooms. Uh, with our past experience, this changed everything. And so we were a little unsure of where to go. <laughs> Yeah, I think, and we both kind of respectfully found in our classrooms um, being really passionate and also learning ourselves about what reconciliation means and about sort of um, especially Indigenous stories and histories in the country that neither of us grew up learning about in our own education. Um, there was uh, kind of a sense of something missing from the classroom for each of us um, as we really attempted to engage students in the learnings we had come to and to try to gauge conversations around authentic reconciliation. Uh, and, and it felt like um, I was trying to translate experiences I had that had moved, uh, moved me in many ways to, to a different way of understanding this content. But I was trying to translate it almost third party. And, and it, it became apparent to us that our students needed their own experiences authentically with Indigenous people and communities and voices and histories. 
um, that, that weren't just taking our word for it, but was more experiential and more um, kind of authentically based around relationships. And so that's kind of, I think, where the, the motivation and the impetus started for us to, uh, to to start stepping into this work a little bit differently than we had. Right. Okay, so then can you tell us a little bit about the project? So give us, I know it's a big undertaking, um, but tell us about some of the things that the students were involved in and some of the activities. Uh, like Justin has said, the main focus for us was really providing those authentic voices to our students. So it wasn't us in front of the classroom lecturing in a traditional setting. It was, you know, us bringing in people who have lived through some of these experiences. So residential school survivors, um, elders, life speakers, uh, people who were involved in the 60s scoop, people involved in community agencies doing amazing work. And for us, that really became the important piece was that students were able to hear from those real people. And the second piece was really bringing them out to the land and connecting back to the land. So we took them out of the classroom and really provided an immersive experience for them. Yeah, it was important for us to, as Denise said, um, to make those connections with our students and uh, the, the voices of those who have lived through the histories and, and, and even current experiences and conditions for Indigenous people um, across the country, and specifically within our own community of Regina uh, and, and Treaty 4. Uh, and, and also, as Denise said, to walk them specifically through the site. So, um We'll probably speak to some of that a little bit later, but um, there, there are some some places even within our urban setting of Regina that have historical significance um, for Indigenous people. And uh, a lot of um, maybe non-Indigenous or settler populations in their own city are, are largely unaware. And many Indigenous people are unaware of some of these own histories too within the bounds of the city. So it, it became really important that we um, physically took our students out of the classroom. Right. So why don't, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about that? What were some of the places that the students visited and worked with and some of the history that they discovered through this process? Uh, one of the first sites that we take our students to is the RISE site, so the Regina Indian Industrial School site. Uh, at that site, we're joined by elders or life speakers. We're joined by a variety of other individuals who speak about the history of this site, who speak about the children that are buried there. Um, we do a prayer offering. We do an apple offering for the children because those children's spirits uh, love sleep. And for our students, most of them have driven past that location, but have never realized what they're actually driving past. That it's in fact a cemetery filled with graves of little children who died at the residential school in Regina. Mm -hmm. So if you can maybe picture that the, the residential, the building itself um, burned down quite a while ago, although um, the property just adjacent to our youth detention facility in Regina, which also has a historical connection. Um, and so we, uh, like our first time out, we, we took a group of approximately 50 grade 12 students. Um, and we were joined by um, some of the members of the Commemorative Association who began the initial work just a few years ago to um, try to get heritage status and protection for that site, which they've achieved now on a municipal and a provincial level. Um, so we were joined by some members of, of that committee, uh, as well as an archaeologist who had um, sort of surveyed the land just to check and to see where they believe there were um, 
sort of unmark the graves of the children who attended the school. A really good friend of ours, life speaker Noel Starblanket, had joined us. If I could just share just a small anecdote from our first time out, um, there's just this really, this really beautiful moment that stayed with both Danae and I and our students, um, where uh, Noel Starblanket was offering a prayer for the little ones there, um, and so he was teaching our students both how to pray. Uh, and, and also inviting them to pray in their own way, including our newcomer students. Um, and so he's holding up tobacco along and being joined by our students. And he's speaking his language. So he's speaking in, in a Haywan or a Cree, which um, it wasn't lost on either Janae or I that uh, uh, Life Speaker Noel Star Blanket as a residential school survivor himself, um, you know, where his language wasn't even supposed to stay with him through that experience. Here he is. Um, as, as this elder in front of us who is uh, speaking in in um, in a language it felt subversive and it felt healing um, and which is a really beautiful picture for us of what uh, one picture of reconciliation could look like I think. Um, another location that became really significant to us we actually stumbled upon by accident so our initial plan was to go to the RCMP depot and look at the site where Louis Riel was hung and, you know, mention to our students the fact that there's no memorial marking, there's no specific location marking anything in place. We had asked if we could do a tobacco offering and our tour guide led us to a space that she called uh, a space of reflection. We arrived there and noticed it was a medicine wheel. And so it felt like this wasn't just a place of reflection, that there was some more significance to it. Um, we asked quite a few questions to try to draw out what this location actually was, and we learned that it was actually a memorial site for missing and murdered women and girls. Um, and this is a site that a lot of Indigenous people in our city don't even realize exists there. There's no markings for it, there's no sign, there's nothing advertising or broadcasting what the significance of this piece of land actually is. And for us, that became a really important piece of this project. And it really became a focus for us to look at, you know, the stories of these women and these children who have gone missing or who have been murdered. The students um, did some of their own research and, and inquiry projects as well. What, what kind of learning did you see coming through by the end of this process? And what, what sorts of connections were you seeing the students make between their community and and the history of of the community mm-hmm. one of the major sort of outcomes we were meeting um, through this project was um, a, a large inquiry paper that our grade 12 students are asked to write and um, and something specifically connected to Canadian history and so um, some of the exciting work that we noticed and this is this is an outcome that Tanae and I have been um, instructing and facilitating for a number of years and we certainly noticed um, a real increase in both the quality and um, just the engagement that our students brought to this to this particular outcome because of the project. Um, so we had a student uh, this last semester, for instance, who was one of the few visibly Indigenous students um, that accompanied us. And she was really, really deeply affected by being at the RISE site. Um, our nation is um, carry the kettle on Saskatchewan. And so um, the speaker who joined us had mentioned that there was a student representing CTK at the site. Um, 
for her inquiry project, she settled on sort of going a narrative inquiry route and looking at an oral history of her own family connections um, to residential school. So she uh, began to speak to her cookums and to her aunties uh, and asking them for their stories, for their experiences, and then began connecting it in her paper to even some of the difficulties she'd faced in her life that she could now sort of pinpoint in a generational sense to intergenerational trauma, largely in parts uh, because of a residential school experience. So that was a really, really powerful um, learning and then uh, piece of writing that came from that student. We also had a student who was a newcomer to our country, um, and she was really inspired by uh, the amount of sort of urban art represented when we walked through the North Central community, which houses um, a large population of Indigenous people within our city. And so she produced a beautiful photo essay uh, sort of documenting sort of the symbols and visual artistic representations of hope in the form of murals and street art and graffiti. Um, and sort of became for her sort of a meditation on uh, where people, even in really difficult situations, are still striving for, looking for, hoping, creating as well, became a creator space. Um, we, we also had students involved in um, sort of elite national level um, sports representing our classes and some of those students began to take note of um, sort of the lack of um, sort of involvement of indigenous kids within our city in the kind of organized sports that they had come through began to ask questions as to why that was, and then began to research and look into different community organizations that do offer um, community programming around sports and, and wellness within um, within their, their North Central community. Um, and so they produced some papers sort of looking at health norms and then compared to what's being offered for, for um, Indigenous kids, and, and even those just below the socioeconomic um, poverty line too. And so some of that work became really exciting and, and, um, and even for some of our students has resulted in some action to see them actually volunteer at some of the agencies that we've connected them with uh, and, and have asked them to visit, which is for us um, a, a real win above and beyond what we anticipated. Right. That sounds wonderful. I love how big the the project is and how much space there is for the students to find themselves within it and to make very real connections between the past and the present. And like you say, to get involved in, in the community, those are really great examples that you just gave. And I'm sure there's even more. Yeah, there is. I mean, we've, we've had between and I, we've instructed a number of um, Canadian literature classes where it originates. Um, but yeah, this particular historical component, uh, we're just every semester kind of finding a wealth. And, and what we're finding is the more students can uh, identify something that's personal or really resonated with them on a personal level and sort of follow that into their inquiry research. Um, that tends to just produce such a fantastic level of work uh, that, that they, they're really proud of in the end and we're uh, very excited to see as a teacher. Absolutely. And it's opening up a dialogue, I think, at their own houses that hasn't existed before and so they're talking about privilege they're talking about reconciliation they're talking about the sites of significance that no one really knows about in our own city uh, and just really engaging in this topic in a way that hasn't really happened before and so we've had even people from the community come and ask us about reconciliation and so it's really kind of opened that door uh, in a way that we hadn't expected <laughs> 
but in a really positive way. Yeah, it's really meaningful work for everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What advice would you give to teachers who would like to undertake a project um, that focuses on Indigenous history and perspectives, particularly teachers who um, are not Indigenous themselves? I think it has to be authentic. It it cannot be tokenism. It cannot be just this generic, you know, we're going to throw in a novel or we're going to throw in a book and that's our Indigenous content. It really has to focus on the real voices coming through and being heard. And I think the other piece is it has to be from the heart. You have to connect, you know, what you're doing in your classroom to your own place of reconciliation, to your own place of, you know, where you're at in your own journey. And I think that's when it becomes really meaningful. And when you're opening it up to your students and allowing them to see you in that kind of vulnerable state where you're not just that teacher in front of the classroom like we had talked about before, uh, it changes the dynamic in your classroom and it really opens the door for a different type of learning to happen. And I mean, neither of us are Indigenous uh, and most of our students aren't. Yet, I think we've kind of with what we're doing it is something really meaningful and some of the relationships that we've developed with our agencies our community members our you know elders I mean they're lifelong they're not relationships that are just going to go away we're in touch with them all the time you know we're meeting for lunches we're you know sitting down to talk about issues things like that and so it's just it has to be real it has to be from the heart Mm -hmm. agree with that wholeheartedly and echo to I think the second part as Denise said being non-indigenous in front of the classroom and speaking to indigenous issues that aren't even just historical that you know as you said do connect directly to the present and just so many um, big uh, you know questions and concerns and people trying to find their way through reconciliation right now across the country and so um, for us I think as teachers we have the experience of and I think this is something I think fairly commonly experienced that there's a sense that this work is important and this content is important, but there is um, maybe some insecurity about how to properly bring it across in the classroom. It's easier to anchor to kind of a fixed um, sort of single lesson or whatnot. So we can feel like we've, you know, given a sort of indigenous voice, it's proper due, but maybe a deeper sense that we haven't even barely sort of um, scratched the surface of what 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 those voices um, can add to to this content so for us humbling ourselves and and going to find the people the knowledge keepers mm-hmm. to bring in and connect our students directly to, to step outside of or step away from the front of the classroom that traditional model that Denise spoke to in education and almost join the students in this um, in this journey that's both personal and also collective as educators um, that, that was vital. And, and we've, we've made mistakes and missteps all the way around. We've gotten lost. We've done and said the wrong thing numerous times. But we're finding that uh, if we approach it from sort of a real heart-centered place, uh, that there's lots of grace for, for kind of getting it wrong because in the end, um, our intention is just to really, in the long game, get it right, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. And uh really wise words from from the two of you. Is there anything else you'd like to add about this project or teaching history? I think to know that for us, this was birth of a place of, of frustration too, that there was things that we didn't know, ways we couldn't come at it. And, and so that tends, I think, in the past to make us 
um, certainly myself, to shy away from stepping into things that are contentious or, or difficult histories or messy history. As a friend of ours um, from the University of Virginia, Dr. Mike Capello, has said to us many times, and, and he's been sort of an indispensable voice mm-hmm. of wisdom for us, uh, one of the people who's come alongside and joined us in the journey, but he's repeatedly asked us and our students to uh, sort of sit with the messiness, sit with the messiness of history, of, of the present, with the way things are, um, not to try to clean them up for our students either, that kind of think respect the, the intelligence and wholeheartedness of students who are going to join us on this journey, that um, we, we can let things be as they are and, and sort of way through. So um, I, I guess for me, there's the sense that something I was frustrated with is something Nay and I have described in the past when we would get some of this content in our classrooms, there would be what we sort of termed uh, residential school fatigue, kind of a glazed look in our students where you know, they, they're like, hey, at this point of the semester of this class, where now we, you know, give a week to this content and we kind of check all the list of the atrocities and then we move on to the next uh, unit. And we, we didn't want to kind of repeat that. And we've been guilty of doing it throughout our careers. And, and this, we felt like um, that there, was, there was something so much deeper uh, and more complex uh, and, and really, really uh, rewarding if we're willing mm-hmm. to step in and sit in the content with our students so and I think just as educators it's really easy and really safe to stay in that position in front of the room where you're teaching a topic in a really safe way and I think for both of us this is a real step outside of our comfort zone and we had to take that leap and once we did we realized how different and how much more meaningful this experience was for our students and I mean, when Justin talked about some of the products that were created from our students, it changed everything in our classrooms. And in fact, when we went back to our other classes where we weren't doing projects like this, it just didn't feel the same. It felt like we weren't as engaged, our students weren't as engaged, because we had seen what could be. We could see what could happen when you followed that passion, when you followed, you know, your heart, essentially, and went about education in a really different way. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to share your work with us and also for the important work that you're doing uh, with your students and for, you know, moving forward in your practice together with your students to to develop something like this that benefits you and the students and the community at large. So thank you very much for everything. Thank you so yeah. much for, for this taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Canada's History Podcast. To learn more about the Governor General's History Awards, to nominate a teacher, or start an application, visit canadashistory.ca slash awards.